Thanks, Nathan, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany. It's good to be together as we begin a new series entitled Cultivating Faith. We really are talking about entering into our uh, relationship with the earth as Christ followers, kind of asking the question, what does that mean? And so I'm going to begin with a moment of prayer as we ask God to teach us through God's Holy Spirit, and then uh, we'll look at the text together. Father, thanks that we can gather on this day that is so perfectly illustrative of all that we're to discuss the beauty of creation is all around us today. We're grateful for the sun and the flowering of uh, the trees and the new life that's all around us, which is really just a continuity of life, which has been going on for millennia. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness to us that we enjoy the fruits of creation. Would you teach us now by the power of your Holy Spirit how to live rightly related to creation in your name as a testimony? We'll thank you for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I would say to you at the outset, this is probably a sermon series I've been waiting 60 years to give, and since I'm 67 years old, that tells you something about my relationship with creation. When I was a child, I grew up in Fresno, California, it was very hot, and in the summers we had one week where we'd head west, we'd go over the uh, foothills, the California foothills, drop down into um, the Santa Cruz area where there was a little camp where my grandmother was the cook in the California Redwoods. There was fog and mist. There was the scent of redwood in the air. I'd get a hug from my grandma, and then I'd go to this circle of redwood trees, the original tree having died and decomposed. The second generation leaves a circle of offspring. You can lay in there and look up. Those are some of the best memories of my life. And not only are they good memories, but... They speak to me of a text that I may be misinterpreting, I'm not sure, from Psalm 47, which says this, uh, uh, Psalm 42, excuse me, which says this, deep calls to deep. And, the, and there's this sense for me, as a child, I grew up in a Christian home, we went to church every Sunday, but uh, sermons didn't speak to me. Ironic that I'm doing this right now, right? They didn't speak to me. What spoke to me was sitting under the redwood trees, gazing up, knowing that the one who made this is good, that the one who made this is the source of everything that's good, that the one who made this wants me to know him. And so my faith is deeply rooted in creation theology. Later, my first date with my wife would be a snowshoe trip because she was an outdoor recreation major at Seattle Pacific, invited me to join her in her classes, and her classes were canoeing, snowshoeing, sailing, rock climbing, backpacking, and so I'd go out with her and fell in love with creation, later climb Mount Baker, climb Mount Rainier, be out in the woods a lot. Now, as you know, I ski regularly, and I'm not a uh, summit fever kind of a, a guy when it comes to the outdoors. I don't have to make it to the top. The journey literally is the destination. I am fed by the beauty of creation. I could just share moment after moment after moment of being in creation and going, man, this speaks to eternity. This speaks to the goodness of God. That, by the way, when you go down to Green Lake, is why people stop when they see a bald eagle. You've been, you ever been to Green Lake and there's a group of people, they're stopped, they're looking up. They're not looking at their phones when they're looking up. And, and they're not looking for, you know, riding in the sky. They're looking at an eagle. Or they might be looking at a heron on the lake or people are taking pictures of turtles. Why? Something is calling us. Something speaks. It's life-giving. And we live in it 
and are called not only to live in it and enjoy it, but to steward it. And our calling as stewards needs awakening these days, especially if you care for people living on the margins because of the undeniable trajectory of environmental degradation. So there's a slide up. You can see those things. Well, you see those things. I'll share a few other things. In the last 50 years, the incidence of dengue fever, which is transmitted by a mosquito who now lives longer because of in, uh, warmer cli uh, climates, dengue fever has increased 30-fold to an annual rate of 390 million infections worldwide every year. An estimated 3.9 billion people are at risk of infection of this disease. This is not a problem in the future. This exists now. Rising sea levels tell us that by the year 2100, 2 billion people, about one-fifth of the world's populace, could become climate refugees due to rising ocean levels. Some are already climate refugees, some Pacific Island um, peoples. In a bid to protect soil globally and help farmers, the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization has warned us that the equivalent of one soccer pitch of topsoil is eroding every five seconds. Think about that. One soccer pitch every five seconds of soil kind of disappearing. And we need soil, as we'll see in a moment. And over much of the earth, demand for water exceeds sustainable yield. Add to that uh, plastics, forever chemicals, extended fire seasons, extended hurricane seasons, extreme drought, once in 500-year storms happening once or twice a decade, deforestation with attendant compromises to air, soil, water quality. You, I could go on and I'll be get the picture. Uh, the thesis is... In this environment where there's a bit of dysfunction regarding humanity's relationship with creation, we have a calling. And here's the thesis. If we, have, if we pay attention to God's intent for us, for the created world, including God's intent for humans, by paying attention to God's intention for the created world, that revelation will lead us to the creator and awaken our calling as stewards. So we start by paying attention to creation... That attention leads me to the creator. From the creator, I receive a calling as steward. That's what we look at this morning. And we begin with this observation. The most recurring phrase in Genesis chapter 1, it was good. And that phrase is foundational to everything in this series. So I want to take a moment and unpack it. It was good, foundational to everything. So a couple of quick observations. When God created stuff like trees, plants, rocks, oceans. God does not say, it's all going to burn anyway, so don't worry about it. God says it was good. He doesn't say it was necessary, but all this stuff is really just a set of props on a stage in which the main actors are humans. The text does not say God saw it was a great resource for humans to use at will with no regard to future generations. No, God said it was good, and that word good is tricky. In Hebrew, it's the word tov, and as, as in the English language, good can mean many things, right? If you're an employee at a company and you do your job, you're a good employee. You have skills, right? Uh, if you uh, are a good architect, you design a good building. There's an aesthetic value. If you're a painter, if you're Monet, you're, good, you're a good painter, right? So there's, there's aesthetically good. There's skillfully good. If you see someone, you know, intervening in a street fight or something like that or stopping to help somebody with a flat tire, there's morally good. And all it says is good, and we're not sure which good it is. 
And to compound the problem, there's another good. And the other good is something is good when it's functional. Uh, John Walton, who wrote a book entitled Lost World of Genesis 1, makes a compelling argument. I won't go into the details. You can read the book if you'd like. Compelling argument that the good spoken of in Genesis 1 is, it means everything that God created is functional. So that's where we're going to go. Functional. Now, what does that mean, functional? Well, who has a car? Raise your hand. You have a car. Who has ever uh, tried to start a car in the morning it didn't start? Does that ever happen? Okay, I don't care what your car is. Could be a Mercedes, could be an Audi, could be a Tesla, could, could have, you know, heated leather stuff, Bose speakers. Think of your greatest car. It's no good if you can't start it, right? Because the whole point of a car is not the sound system or the heated leather seats or even the aesthetic value that people look and go, oh, what a cool person that they sit in that seat. That's ridiculous, right? The whole point of a car is to get you from A to B. That's all it's for. And if it does that, it's what? It's a good car. It's functional. I have a, I have a Yaris, or I had a Yaris. It's, a, it's the cheapest Toyota you can buy. Yaris, stick shift. I bought it used at three months old. It's the best way to buy a car, by the way. Like it had 3,000 miles on it. This guy bought it for his wife not realizing she hates stick shift, and then put it up for sale, and I bought it. So I got it cheaper than book value, even though it had never, basically never been driven. I gave it to my daughter and son-in-law when it had 125,000 miles on it. He's been driving it down to JBLM because he's a chaplain with the Air Force a little bit uh, in reserve, and now he's given it to somebody else, and it still runs perfectly. That's a good car, right? <laughs> Who cares? Windows, stickers, heat, sound system. It has none, it has, it's good, functional, okay? So here's the deal. When God says in the beginning it was good, here's the thing. Everything on earth was functioning perfectly, which meant everything was functioning in proper relationship with everything else as a perfect picture of kind of this shalom interdependency. Everybody wins if it's good, right? So uh, the bees pollinate the flowers, we get honey, flowers multiply. Uh, trees create seed pods uh, that are then eaten by animals. Then the animals travel and poop, and the animal gets the food, and then they also not only reproduce, but here's this beautifully fertilized seed now in a new location. The tree gets to expand its progeny, Right? You throw stuff in a compost bin that you would never eat and it turns magically into this super nutrient for soil that makes your crop yield increase and now you're eating better because you threw stuff away that you couldn't use, only you did use it because everything is what? Good. Everything's functional. So functional is a, the appropriate definition of good and so when something is functional in this way, like in creation, creation is functional in four ways that I'll go through right here. They're in your bulletin. Like, it's good creation because, first of all, it's a source of provision. It's good because it's a source of provision. What'd you have for breakfast? Don't answer out loud. But who had breakfast? Raise your hand if you had breakfast. Okay, most of you had breakfast. And so you ate something, and I don't care what you ate, 
It, you, maybe you picked up a nice organic apple from PCC because you're kind of an earthy person or whatever it is. Uh, or maybe you had Fruit Loops because you don't care. Uh, either way, <laughs> either way, that, like, you wouldn't have anything except creation is good. And so the soil provided the wheat that was ultimately, you know, polluted and became Fruit Loops. <laughs> Or provided the tree that became an apple. Either way, either way, without the soil, you've got nothing. We saw the little play here and the pigs. If you ate bacon this morning, it's only because the pig was able to eat food. And the pig could only eat food because this earth is functional, right? So um, good is a source of provision. And just the takeaway here that I want to encourage for all of you, many of you may pray already over a meal. I, I try to. I don't always, but I try to. But um, the more I become attuned to the goodness of the earth, the much easier it is to pray not as an obligation or as this kind of perfunctory exercise, but I am profoundly grateful for the miracle that is God's provision every day. So when I take a bite of food, or I drink a sip of wine, or I drink coffee, or, or, or whatever it is, as I consume, I'm mindful now that that consumption is because of the goodness of what God has created, and I can't help but give thanks. Isn't it amazing that we live in a world where every bite of food, every, every sip of water, every inhale of air is a testimony to what God has made and provided for us, therefore give thanks. And if you don't think that the earth is your source of provision, uh, I might encourage you to read at some point Jared Diamond's book entitled Collapse. I mean, we hear in the news cycle all the time uh, theories of why societies collapse. You know, moral degradation, sexual anarchy, economic stuff, right? The, the gap between the rich and the poor, uh, totalitarianism, hubris of emperors, whatever. There's truth. I get it. We can have those debates. But uh, Jared Diamond makes the compelling case in his book, Collapse, that ultimately why, why empires collapse, why societies collapse, why nation states collapse is because they overuse the soil, and it can no longer produce food. And then they have to, you know, go out and fight or expand their boundaries and, and wars break out. But because the troops are undernourished, they can't win. And eventually the place is destroyed. It's compelling. Oh, we thought it was about the news cycle on CNN. No, it's not. It's about the soil. That, by the way, is disappearing at a soccer field every five seconds globally. So uh, good... God is providing all around us. Give thanks. Second, good is a revelation of interdependency, right? Chief Seattle said it this way, what is man without the beasts? If all the beasts were gone, we would die from great loneliness of spirit. And whatever happens to the beasts happens to man. All things are connected. And then Chief Seattle says this, hear me, Whatever befalls the earth will befall the children of the earth. Couldn't have said anything truer. And Psalm 104 echoes that, which reveals in Psalm 104 that there's a, there's a food chain, there's a hydration cycle, there are seasons, and the entire thing is a vast web of interdependency. So you're receiving from other living entities 
in the soil, creating your food, becoming an animal that may create your food if you're not a vegetarian. And that's all well and good, but you also are providing for others. You may not know this, but right now, in your body, there are more microorganisms than there are stars in the galaxies. More bacteria. Did you know that? And most of them are good, otherwise you wouldn't be here, you'd be in the hospital somewhere. And not only are they good, but they're, but they're uh, providing for you enhanced immune system, enhanced digestion function, enhanced capacity to deal with stress. There are all these little, uh, I don't, bugs is the wrong word, but they're microorganisms. And they're, and they're there, and you're their host. So wake every morning, look at your stomach, and say you're welcome. Because <laughs> they're living because of you. They're the recipients of your life, and they're blessing you. That's called interdependency. That's how God made this whole thing. So remember, if something is good, it's functional. And therefore, if functional is interdependency, if I harm another part of it, its contribution is then lost. That just is, in a nutshell, the science of ecology, right? Everything's interdependent. You receive life from the trees, the water, the soil, the farmer, the person stocking the shelves. You're called then to live a life of stewardship and gratitude and appreciation, but things are only functional when they display interdependence. If you go for interdependence, you're going to end up, as I'll share in two weeks, in a domination model rather than a shalom model. Third, things are good uh, because what God has made is a source of health and, and life right? Just take trees as one example. Hildegard of Bingen was this uh, nun that lived around the 11th century, I would say. I call her an eco-feminist mystic, right? She like wrote theology at a time when women weren't even allowed to read, let alone write. The Pope fell in love with her teachings and propagated them and invited her to preach in churches. And then she spoke prophetically challenging the Catholic Church to justice, et cetera, et cetera. But she was also a doctor. And so she was one of the first ones to begin using herbs as medicine, right? Oh, you're having a hard time sleeping. Here, uh, valerian, that'll help you. The valerian tea. To this day, valerian root will help you sleep, right? Oh, oh, uh, you've got some heart issues. Try this hawthorn berry tea. That'll help you. And, you know, Hildegard is discovering all of this and, you know, writing it down and codifying it. And to this day, there's a medicinal clinic in northern Germany called the Hildegard Clinic that continues to practice her medicine. And people go there from all over the world because her thesis was, if God made it, it's got a purpose. Let's find it. Let's find the purpose, right? Uh, so trees are a source in our time of uh, healing components for arthritis, flu virus, liver ailments, cancer, bacterial, bacterial infections, uh, infections, many other diseases. Uh, if you wonder how Native Americans uh, who, you know, live here and had no access to citrus fruit in those days before oranges could travel from Florida... Uh, just bite into some fur needles someday. Now, I'll warn you, A, it's bitter, but B, if you get past the bitterness, it tastes like citrus. Why? Because fur needles have vitamin C and provide immunity 
in the, in, the, in the dead of winter to Native American Indians who are living in this northern climate. Who knew? And now, doctors prescribe in many parts of the world forest bathing. Because when you go into the forest, there's these chemicals that are released from the trees into the air that you then inhale, and that cocktail of chemicals uh, will... Uh, deal with elevated cortisol levels, deal with insomnia, deal with uh, com compromised vagus nerve function because you're living under too much stress. When a tree is good, it's functional. When it's functional, it's medicinal. It heals. So good is a source of provision. Good is a source of interdependency. Good is a source of health. And finally, good is a base for worship. Creation is a basis for worship. In Romans 10, there's this kind of mysterious passage where Paul, having articulated you know, the gospel uh, of man's separation from God, uh, God's work in Christ at the cross as a means of healing that separation, all that is articulated. And then Paul says, <clears throat> how will they call on God, the one in whom they have not yet believed? But how can they believe in the one that they haven't heard? about and how will they hear without a preacher and you know when I grew up everybody always stopped right there and said therefore we need a preacher to go to a place where there is no bible and declare the scriptures right because it's a rhetorical question we presume that the answer is how can they hear uh, without a preacher and we presume the answer is well they can't so let's send people well <laughs> except here's the problem uh, Paul anticipating the argument of people who are saying, wait a minute, there's people out here who have lived and died and they never got a Bible. They will ask this question. They haven't heard the good news, have they? And here's Paul's answer. Indeed they have, verse 18 of Romans. Without a Bible, without a missionary, without Christian radio, without Christian schools, without seminaries, they have heard. How? Paul quotes Psalm 19 right there, which says what? Creation is preaching, like exegeting is the word, like declaring God's character, God's glory. Creation is declaring God's glory. Okay, so now <laughs> we see what the Lakota Indians knew years ago when without a Bible, they said this, and I quote, the definite article, great spirit, is the great unifying force that flows in and through all things. The flowers of the plains, the blowing winds, the rocks, the trees, the birds, the animals, the same spirit breathed life into the first man. Thus all things are kindred, brought together by the same great spirit, all participate in the same great mystery. That's a sermon from a guy who never bought a Bible. How did he know? Psalm 19, Romans 1, Romans 10, Psalm 104, Psalm 63, Hosea 4, Romans 8. I mean, go on if you want, but no. You get the point. If we pay attention, we know. We know as a creator. That's Romans 1. I used to run a wilderness ministry and we would blend Bible teaching and, you know, creation, outdoor activity stuff. And I remember one time we had this high school week 
And the culmination was uh, uh, this time of, uh, like I was teaching apologetics. Do you know what I mean? Like here, saying to high school students, let me prove to you the resurrection. Let me prove to you that these texts are valuable. Let me prove to you that Jesus was a historical figure. Let me prove to you that you're a sinner. Let me prove to you, and I don't mean to be dismissive because all of it has value. And people are, you know, taking notes and it's helpful to certain people in the room. But there was a gal there and I knew she wasn't a believer. She'd just come with friends. And so, you know, I do, we, we go through this whole scene and then at the end, uh, okay, we're gonna spend the afternoon, we're gonna hike. And so on the hike, I sought her out. She was alone and I said, so how'd you like to talk? She said, in a word, rubbish. She said, I kind of tuned out after five minutes. It was pretty, it was A, it was pretty boring anyway. B, I just, you know, you just need to know, I'm not a believer. I grew up in a, in a, in a household of scientists. And we, like, come on, really? This stuff? Resurrection? There's no God. And she went off and we had this little discussion. And then she said, so, fine, keep doing your Bible studies. Just know I've checked out. Well, that's a little humbling as a guy like me, right? Like I'm thinking, uh, if I'm, you know, good enough, and then she's gone. So we get, the, we get up on top of this mountain, and we're there for a while. We have a meal up there, a, di- a supper, and we're going to hike out with flashlights. So, you know, we let the sun go down. Somebody brought a guitar. We're singing creation kind of songs. This gal is in the circle and with the hot dogs, and then as soon as the creation thing starts, she's gone, right? And I go, whatever, hopeless. And, and then people are starting to share testimony. And I, so I went over to chat with her to see if I should bring her back into the circle. And I, and I watch her. And just to set the stage, if you look west, it's the sun setting over the San Juan Islands and Vancouver Island. If you look north, it's Mount Baker. If you look east, it's El Dorado and all the Cascades. If you look south, it's Mount Rainier. And it's all, all these glaciers are now, you know, pink and glorious. The sky is a bunch of colors. And the sound is glimmering with the last vestiges of sunlight. It's perfect, man. And so I go over to her thinking, should I invite her back in the circle or whatever? And, and she's got tears in her eyes. And I go, are you okay? She said, uh, I got to go back in the circle and share. And so she did. And she said, I left the car an atheist, and I'm up here to tell you I'm now a believer. And then she went on to talk about, there's no, I can't prove it, but there's no way this just happened. And I was like this, are you kidding me? <laughs> All that preaching, and the sunset was more compelling best sermon. You don't need me. In fact, I'm going to quit. Just leave. (laughs) But if you leave, here's the thing. Pay attention, right? Now, as we bring this thing to a wrap, uh, there's one, like God says, you know, regarding the trees, they were good. And the flowers, they were good. And and, uh, the, the animals on the earth, they were good. And the birds, they were good. And the, and the deep sea fish, they were good. Good, 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 good. And then, you know, you go to, you're in Genesis 1 and you're reading this and it feels like a, uh, like a song if you're a musician. You know, A, B, A, C, A, D, A, E. Like 
We keep coming back to it was good. It was good. You can read it. It was good. It was good. You know. But then you come to this. Uh, God created a male and female. And you read the whole thing and there's no, it was good. Why, what's up with that? Well, here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> we were given four tasks uh, embodying four verbs, subdue, rule, cultivate, and keep. Now, I don't have time to go into all of those, but I will in, in two weeks. But the most mysterious of those is subdue and also the most misused. Subdue can be misinterpreted as, hey, so there's the ants, subdue them. Like, crush them. There's the bison on the plains, subdue them. You know, just slaughter them so the Indians have no food. So that you can subdue the Indians, by the way, as well. That's all called the domination. Well, that's not this subdue. How do I know that's not this subdue? Because... Your job description as a human is an ecosystem, not only subdue, but keep. In other words, you're responsible for the sustainability of the planet as humans, because you're the smartest ones. So you're, you're, you're called to subdue, rule, cultivate, keep. Well, what needs subduing? Satan, who's there, offering an alternative paradigm entirely, a different reality, a different leader, a different way of living, and we took the bait, that's called the fall, spoiler alert. And so we didn't subdue, and now we're living under the thumb of lies and deception, and that has kind of marred our capacity to rule, cultivate, and keep. So we'll get into this much more in subsequent weeks, but for now, I just want to let you know your, your calling has never changed. Our calling... Cultivate, keep. We're in charge of this. We've got chainsaws and medicine. We can fix it or break it more. It's our job. Where does that start? It starts with this thesis statement. If we pay attention to God's intent for the created world, that revelation leads us to the creator. What do I mean by paying attention? Well, you're going to leave here and you're going to get one of these little guys. And uh, um, some of you, my guess is, are thinking, I don't want to take it because I'll kill it. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, I know there are people who, like, if we, if we did a survey, we won't. Who in the room doesn't have a green thumb? Hands would go up. Yeah, yeah, nothing lives in my house, you know, other than me. And not very well because of Fruit Loops. <laughs> So, um, so I don't want one. Now, I'm going to encourage you to take one anyway. Here's why. Because I'm not a horticulturist, horticulturalist, but I will say to you that the, the key to anything thriving is paying attention and developing a relationship, right? So I'm better with plants now that I have a dog, actually, because my dog presents to me daily hey, I need you. I, I don't go, I don't do my business indoors. I need you to get me out. I need you to feed me. I need you to love me. I need you to play with me. I need you to water me. Not too much. I need sunshine. Not too much. I need you. 
Now, why would you even pay attention? Because this is a miracle. That's why. Because there was soil and an encased seed was dropped into soil. And in the miracle that is God's creation, the cue of the temperature of the soil led the seed to shed its outer shell, releasing all the reproductive DNA that is this basil. Cells began to multiply. We now have a stem. And in this case, uh, already six leaves. And it will continue to do what it does if we do what we're supposed to do. Cultivate, care, and keep. Do this, and you begin to pay attention to the other plants around your yard. And, and maybe attention to the living things at Green Lake. And then you'll wake up to the, to the idea that our world is on fire, and it's our collective responsibility to be people of hope by paying attention, developing affection, and stewarding, cultivating and keeping for God's glory. That's where we're headed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this little basil plant here in my hand that will someday be pesto in our household. But between now and then, every day, may we be in awe of what you are doing and what you have created in order that that awe would lead to affection and that affection would lead to attention and stewardship. And we'll thank you for it all. In Christ's name we pray, amen.